When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk, another Monday Madness with Cleveland.com. I'm Nathan Baird, along with Doug Lane Maurice. We are starting off as we do every Monday, looking back at Ohio State's 33-24 victory over Penn State. We asked the question, for those of you who don't follow our YouTube channel, asked the question after the game, was this a good win for Penn State? And Doug, after you went back and rewatched this game, did you come away with more of a concrete opinion either way? Was it a betterer or worserer win for the Buckeyes? You said, was it a better win for Penn State? Was it a better win for Ohio State? Oh, sorry. Yes, I meant Ohio State. Yes. So I only rewatched the offensive side of the ball up through the Trayvon Henderson gigantic run that kind of gave them the breathing room that they needed at the end. And so this was my first live double dip weekend of the season where I watched the Buckeyes in person on Saturday and the Browns in person on Sunday. And when I watched the Browns on Sunday, you know, working on a story on this, I didn't think a single Brown skill player like made a play in that game against the Steelers. Nobody got like an extra five yards on their own. Nobody broke a tackle. Nobody made like a, a really tough catch. Nobody made a cut and juked a guy out of his cleats. If it was schemed open, it was there and they took it, but it was all efficiency and no explosiveness on a team that should have some explosiveness. The Browns should Ohio State did what the Browns didn't, and they were both playing really good defenses. And I think it's okay for Ohio State to sort of rely on that because this was confirmation on Saturday that it still is always going to be there. Maybe not as frequently play to play as it is against Akron or Rutgers or Maryland or Indiana, but Deep ball play action to Chris Olave for a touchdown. That was there when they needed it. Jackson Smith, Najigba, break a tackle and run 50 yards there when they needed it. And then as, as long as it took and as difficult as it was, Trayvon Henderson finally broke one. And they broke one by getting a second level block on the linebacker. Travion with his speed takes care of the safety and away you go. That's not an 11 yard game. That's a 70-yard game at a time when you needed a 70-yard game. So I actually think in retros, you know, looking back at it, I do think it's a good win because it was confirmation that that is still there. You, you can believe it's still there. And that is not the case for a lot of teams. And I have a, 
a general overriding thought that maybe is too positive about this game, but I think it was good for Ohio State in a very specific way, having rewatched the important Ohio State offensive plays. Well, that's quite a tease. Um, (laughs) And we'll tell you that in an hour and a half. (laughs) Yeah, come back, come back after um, after we've talked about uh, every other game in the Big Ten. We'll circle back to that. No, I I did want to. I mean, you can go right into that. But there were some things that stood out to me that I think I you realize them in real time, but they get emphasized when you rewatch the game. And it's it's the subtle things that maybe don't make it or don't get like stamped on your face as you're watching a game live, but you get a more in the rewatch. And I never know how much there's a human element to all of this, or after you've played bad teams for five weeks, it's either been bad teams or nobody that you've played for five weeks. There has to be a period of adjustment when you get back on the field with Penn state, there are things that you can't replicate in practice in terms of, I think Ohio state players talked about the level of physicality that was going to, they were going to go up against with Penn state, but I don't know how much there, there still has to be a bit of a period of adjustment in game for that. I'm not trying to make excuses for them, but this was a team like watching Penn state get off blocks in this game was impressive. Like that was something that I have not seen teams do to Ohio state for a while. I think just fundamentally and physically, this was a, a different level of team. And I think the as I rewatched this game, it gave me an appreciation for how good I think it's 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 fair to say that this is essentially the same level of team that beat them. This is essentially Penn State and Oregon are are similar in a lot of ways in terms of just personnel and, and talent level. And it it, it can it can I think it's fair to call it progress that Ohio State found a way to win a game considering things that could have gone wrong here um so I think really the takeaway I came away was not that I I, roughly I thought this was just as good of a win as I did after the game um it just I, I take away just how atrocious the Penn State loss to Illinois was I still don't know how that happened that's I mean, but, the not, but we know, but we know how it happened. We know how it happens because they didn't adjust defensively to anything that Illinois yeah. did and their quarterback was hurt. So we, we actually do know how it happened Correct. and it just had nothing to do with the Ohio state game. So the Penn state's good. So my takeaway is I think Penn state's defense is JV Georgia. And I think that is a lot of what it would look like to play Georgia, except Georgia will be even better. But those linebackers are downhill every snap. Oh my gosh, those Penn State linebackers are good. And it's what they're asked to do. And I don't, I need to get a better handle on this. I don't know. I I just, are the Penn, are the Ohio State linebackers not asked to do that as much, but they are downhill and on the attack. They are never standing still and waiting for somebody to come to them. They are influencing the play every single snap and they played great and oh and penn state so that idea right that because what georgia has best georgia has like the best group of attacking linebackers that people have seen in college football in a long time and they are attacking behind a monstrous gigantic front and i thought penn state's front played really well and again the penn state beat writers were surprised by that they had not played that well consistently but that was a good test, but like, I'm telling you, I'm not so sure. So George is on a different level. 
I think that Penn State defense is like on the next level. So Georgia has the best defense in the country. I know Wisconsin's defense is ranked really high and has great linebackers too. I can't imagine they're much better than that Penn State defense, the way Penn State def- played defense on Saturday night. So Penn State defensive line, a lot of late shifts, they would shift right before the snap and that you can just see them slide and it would change some of the assignments for the Ohio State offensive linemen. And they got confused a couple times. There were guys who came in unblocked. When you watch some of the penetration that Penn State gets, it is not always. Our instinct is like, well, I got beat. And and a lot of the times then rewatching it. And by the way, again, we're in the press box. We're watching the game live. I don't love to follow along on TV and like have the commentators influence what I'm thinking. I want to be there in the moment and absorb the game my own way. But it is a reminder, I will just say, when Joel Klatt and or Kirk Herbstreet, well, not and, because they're never together, or Kirk Herbstreet is the, the analyst breaking down the game, it's hard to catch stuff that they don't catch because they catch it all in real time. It's like, I'm watching, you're watching stuff, and it's like, oh, look, it looked like Thayer Munford kind of let that defensive tackle go because he was trying to get to the second level. I wonder why he did that. That was kind of weird. And then it's like, Two seconds later, they come back on the replay and Herbie is breaking that exact thing down. So if you watch the game with Herbie helping guide you through it, you know a lot of this stuff already. Nathan and I are catching it on rewatch because we're not catching it in the moment. But there were like multiple things like that, Nathan, where, yes, they did get beat. Nicholas Petit Frere's PFF grade is awful. It is like stunningly bad. His grade, blocking grade in that game is a 43.9. It is... It is like, you can't believe it. And his pass block grade is 26.2. It is unbelievably bad for a guy who never gets beat. He got beat a couple times. Evan Keaty had a, for, for as much as we talked last year about how they stonewalled um, Jason Owe and uh, that other guy last year, that Penn State's defensive ends got some pressure on stunts, but also just winning some one-on-one battles. So some of that pass rush stuff was that, some of it was confusion. Some of the zone blocking stuff, you'd wind up with two guys on two guys blocking one guy and another guy free. The goal line stuff where Trayvon Henderson got tackled on second down and third down that led to them going on fourth and one. And then the Trayvon Henderson penalty, the false start that led to the field goal on fourth and six, both those plays, Curtis Jacobs on the backside of the play was unblocked and came in and shot in and tackled Trayvon Henderson before he could get moving. And I want to ask Ryan a day about that on Tuesday. Like, is that a design that you just are leaving that backside linebacker unblocked and you think he's not going to get there. And Curtis Jacobs is such an extraordinary player that he got there. Or is that a, is that a misidentification or something with the blocking scheme? Because Dewan Jones like crashed down both times and it's like, okay, well that guy's penetrating and grabbing Trayvon Henderson around the knees twice. So like, I don't know what that is, but that's like, I think it's a great play by Penn state linebackers, but also Ohio state, let it happen. So in general, late shifts, confuse some assignments. A couple of times they did get beat one-on-one, which they hadn't seen all year. And my, my main thing is when you block it up every single time, that's when your offense scores 50 or 60 because then your offense can do whatever it wants to do on every play. And then it's just like, is the scheme good enough? 
because CJ Stroud's going to have all the time in the world. Is the play call right? Because you have the skill guys who can execute the play call. This was a game where Penn state's defense was not letting Ohio state do the plan every single play because they were winning battles at the line of scrimmage because the Ohio state offensive line was confused or losing one-on-one battles. And then that's when you see an offense score 33 instead of 49 or 56. That's the difference. So given that Ohio state lost the battle up front a decent amount of the time, I thought in that reality, the offensive performance was actually pretty good. It's just, you enter a new reality when your offensive line isn't winning 98% of the time. I think that's a good point. There were just so many more instances where like, I can't remember the last time before tonight where Terry and Henderson is getting hit in the backfield really at all, let alone having it happen like multiple times. Like it happens, I don't know, like an average of once a quarter, like he's, you know, and there's, there's only so much of that that obviously goes on him. Like you're saying, like that's, that's, that's Penn state winning that battle up front. Um, I, on the opposite side of the ball, I did think the pro football focus grades are really interesting because the, they had been in the nineties for their overall grade in four straight weeks. And like we said, you can quibble with, the precision of the, the grades, I think they are more useful when you take kind of a 10,000 foot look at them and, and, and stand back and look at over, over a period. So in the nineties for four short weeks for overall score, and they were 69.9 overall score for the team against Penn this state. Is, this is defense or offense. That's, that's just the whole, that's the whole team, the whole team. Okay. Right. The offensive score was 66.8, which is the lowest of the season by a significant amount by like, their, their previous low for any game was Oregon, 80.5. So actually, the, the offensive score for that game was still pretty good. This is like their first bad offensive score. And the defensive score um, grade, 68.7. So the defensive grade was actually higher for this game than the offensive score. So the, 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 the last thing I want to say about the offense, though, is this. When you have those playmakers, you don't have to win every snap because you can lose a snap, lose a snap. And then when you win it, you don't gain eight yards. You gain 50 yards on the Chris Olave play action touchdown. There's nine Ohio state has two tight ends in the game. There's nine Penn state guys in the box. They just get enough protection to give CJ time. They force some of the pass rush deep behind him. He does exactly what you're supposed to do, which is not panic step up with the room you have in the pocket and with all those guys in the box, Ruckert took one of the corners and he had the corner had to follow him for a little bit. And then you wind up with the time when you run a route that goes across the field against zone, you put that zone in a bind and you saw the two Penn state guys in the end zone were left staring at each other because they think, well, I thought you had him. I thought you had him but you have to have the time to execute that throw because Olave is coming all the way from the right to the left. And there's enough protection and CJ with his movement buys himself the time to make that throw. So they lost a lot of those battles up front, but they, in that play, they won it enough. And CJ was smart enough and calm enough in the pocket to take advantage of that on the Jackson Smith in Jigba catch and run they these three unbelievable linebackers right they blitz a backer late they drop another backer 
to take his responsibility and coverage on the other side. And then there's like only one other guy left. And then there, when Njigba beats the guy, or maybe it was they blitzed two guys. I think they blitzed two linebackers on that play. The bottom line is Penn State have been offering some different looks, but that was a moment where they got a couple of the linebackers out of position because they did both blitz. They did both blitz. They get them out of position. And once they aren't there to help clean up the missed tackle, now you're gone, right? That again, they might've lost six of the seven previous snaps. It's like, well, the Penn state defense, but when Ohio state won, they won big by getting those linebackers out of position by going hot to a guy with the blitz coming and CJ recognizes it and goes. And then again, the Trayvon Henderson run, a couple linebackers are out of position. Paris Johnson gets out, leads the way through, gets the only linebacker in the play. Two of the guys are out, are out on the other side. They're schemed out of it. Paris takes the other backer, and then Trivion takes the safety, and that's it. And so, you know, it's one of those things. Congrats. Those Penn State linebackers minus one, right, like 80% of their snaps. Who was better, the Penn State linebackers or the Ohio State offense trying to deal with them? Penn State linebackers, but when when Ohio State beat them, they beat them big three times, and and that's what's there, and like that's what the Browns didn't do. If you beat them, finally, it's like we beat them. We finally got them. Uh, nine yards. All right, now we're gonna lose a bunch of these snaps again. That's tough, man. So that it's it's you know Nicobe Dean and those big Georgia defensive tackles and all those guys for Georgia are waiting, but this was a version of how you have to do it lose. It's like, it's not win in advance. It's like lose and survive, lose and survive, lose and survive, lose and survive when you win, win big. And this was like a really good example of that. I swear. I mean, I'll, I'll maybe I'm wrong. I think that might be a top five defense. I, I really, and if they were undefeated, nobody would argue with that, but they had two goofy losses that weren't really about the defense. Right. And so right. people think they aren't that good. I think that's a top five defense, man. The back seven was always awesome. And the front four played great. That was a one through 11 defensive effort. And the scheme was there. They did a lot of good stuff. They'd rush three drop eight. They'd have a three man defensive front, bring some linebackers up. They would blitz late. They would blitz from the edge. You didn't know where stuff was coming. And they won a decent amount of the time because the Ohio State guys didn't know who to block. And then a couple of times when they did know who to block, the Penn State guys beat them anyway. Ebikidi had a good game, which makes it a little more interesting to think about George Karloftis and Aiden Hutchinson and the guys coming because mm-hmm. Ebikidi is not the best pass rusher in the Big Ten, and he beat the OSU tackles a couple of times. Yeah, I think from a an offensive standpoint, too, we do need to talk about defense, I think, a little bit. But just from the last thing I want to say about the offense was – it should tell you something, and it did, I think, tell us something in real time. When you're watching, like, Luke Whipler can't snap the ball for a period of this game. Like, like the whole offense is just kind of flummoxed for a, a short period. And that, after you've just watching this team just lay waste to people week after week after week, like, what's more likely? That Ohio State just forgot how to play football, that Luke Whipler just forgot how to snap a ball, or that the other team is doing something that has got them rattled, at least temporarily? And that, I, I thought it was very clear on from watching it back that just Penn State's activity up front, the physicality with which they played. Um, there were there was another play I remember seeing it in real time. It was on the first big Penn State gain that led to the touchdown, the Washington um, 
pass that he then took kind of back across the field and got all the way inside the 10. And there was a guy lead blocking on that that just laid Bryson Shaw out, just completely decleated him. And just things like that, that you were not seeing any other team bring that kind of physicality to Ohio State for weeks. And I, I think Ohio State responded to that. What, what do you what can you say? I mean, I think they, they figured, you know, it wasn't immediate. Uh, some games are going to be tougher than others. I thought I thought they figured it out. On the other side of the ball, one thing that struck me from watching this game was that Sean Clifford, there was nothing Ohio State was going to do in that zone that Sean Clifford kind of hadn't seen before, I don't think. I thought Ohio State did a good job being active up front. Tariq Smith had a great game. Um, Ohio State was bringing pressure a lot, and a lot of times it worked. Um, such as Marcus Williamson coming in and getting that blitz to, to you know strip a ball on the first play of the game. I do think there were, though, still some deficiencies there. I thought the first Penn State touchdown reminded me a lot of the first Indiana touchdown, like going down and splitting the two linebackers with a tight end, just kind of walking in between them into the end zone. I still think that's something that has to, a wrinkle that has to be fixed. I thought Penn State effectively used its tight ends in this game, um, sometimes getting some good matchups on the edge against guys that they wanted matchups against probably just from, again, a physicality standpoint. Um, so I, I think this is, I'm, I'm eager to hear from, hopefully we get maybe Matt Barnes or somebody this week. I want to hear kind of Ohio State's reaction after the, because I just, again, from, from talking to Ronnie Hickman after the game, his answer definitely suggested to me that like, well, we didn't quite think it was going to maybe be look that soft. And at the same time, there may be some credence to what Steven was saying after the game. I, some of what Steven said, actually, I don't think there was credence to like, I still don't get the argument he was making between like first and second down and third downs. But I will say that when Ohio State needed to make, Ohio State definitely put Penn State in a position to make the mistakes it eventually did. And you can go even go back to the, the start of this game. Um, Rucker fumbles the ball away. A, a huge play in the way this game unfolds is Penn State fumbling it right back. I mean, they've got the ball at midfield. They've got a chance to to drive and get points on a short field. And obviously they, they went and drove on a long field to go up seven, nothing long after that. But if they punch it in there, like who, who knows what the trajectory of this game is. No. And I thought, and it was a bit, you know, the, the overturned Mayan Williams fumble was mm. another big play that clearly was the right overturn, but it's one of those things where sometimes, right. A guy is ruled down like oh it's a fumble it's like oh he was down and sometimes it's almost like well the fact of being down is what forced the fumble he was coincidentally down like they were in the process of stripping it out of him and he happened to get his knee to the turf before the ball got out but his knee being down had nothing to do with like the ball was coming out in the course of the play it easily could have been a fumble. It clearly was not a fumble, but it, it easily could have been a fumble. If you know what I mean, I'm not implying that yep. it was the wrong yep. call, but Ohio State was almost lucky that his knee got down when it did. So, but that's like, you can see that a little bit. I mean, the, the Rucker, the initial Rucker fumble, that Penn State guy comes up, clocks Rucker, but doesn't wrap him up. And to Rucker's credit, he like bounces off and keeps fighting. And that same guy comes back in the play and is like, fine, I, I just hit you super hard and now I'm going to rip it away. You know, like Marcus Williamson's fumble force on the next play was a really good play, but Penn State is in there like digging balls out in a way that I don't know that we see Ohio State trying to do that to people as much, right? That is a just a really aggressive defense. So, um, yeah, I mean, there were 
there were clearly some things, you know, Penn State not getting it on fourth down at midfield was kind of a big thing. And of course, Ohio State, if they score in the red zone, that's a that changes things as well. So, yeah. you know, ifs and nuts or candy and butts or whatever, I don't know. So the idea that um, it could have gotten away from them is there. And I, what Ohio State did defensively, again, it, it actually worked okay, I guess. They didn't give up the big plays. They kind of, you know, Parker Washington and Jahan Dotson had big numbers, but didn't didn't destroy, didn't have like an Olave, you know, play action touchdown pass or didn't necessarily have, right, like a Jackson Smith and Jigba break a tackle and run 50 yards kind of play. They, they, they needed a lot of targets to get the yards they got. But when you think about that defense against a team that can run the ball more effectively, which is would be any team they Just face about. Yeah. compared to that Penn State rushing attack, I do still have some concern. Again, I haven't, I didn't rewatch that the same way I watched the, the offense, but I am going forward with questions about the Ohio State defense for sure. I would say uh, Purdue's running game is worse than Penn State's, believe it or not. Um, they've been really atrocious. So that's maybe helps Ohio State in that potential matchup with David Bell down the road, although it didn't help. Uh, Iowa hasn't helped some other teams. But, but you're right. Like there is a point I was making after the game that, like, as I'm watching that unfold, I'm thinking, What's this Ohio State defense going to look like against an even more dynamic offense, a more balanced offense, or, or, or just any team that can run the ball, as you're saying? Looking at the the PFF grades, I, I went to the to coverage grades. Did you look at this at all no. for defense? Who who had the highest coverage grade for Ohio State in this game? Pascal Garrett. No, I don't know. Sometimes the PFF grades are crazy. It's like Pascal. No, Garrett. it's 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 nothing bizarre. It's nothing bizarre, but it's notable. Uh, Cam Brown. Cam Brown was number two, just uh, barely behind the person who was number one. Who was it? Steel Chambers. Okay. 78.1. And then he doesn't play the second half, which, you know, we got uh, someone tweeted at us the other uh, yesterday about, do you think that that was a factor in the second half? And I thought Penn State was already having some success in the middle of that zone throughout the first half too. But certainly not having Steel Chambers around in the second half was – a, a factor. And they're not going to have him in the first half against Nebraska either. Um, though I don't know Nebraska can quite challenge Penn State the same way, but we'll talk about Nebraska more later. But those are the only three coverage grades. Those two and Bryce are the only two coverage grades with even like a, a score in the 70s. And it was a pretty decent drop. Um, and this was numbers wise, grade wise from PFF, not a strong coverage game for Ohio State. I didn't watch the defense. <laughs> I, have, I have nothing. I don't, I, I don't know anything more about the defense than what I said after the game. So what was Denzel Brooks grade? 60.4. Yeah. Yeah. 61.5 overall grade. I don't, we don't get too into the weeds on those, those numbers, but uh, there were some bright spots. I mean, Marcus Williamson had a really strong run defense grade and they were bringing him on off the edge a lot as uh, like an extra guy. Like, yeah, I thought Ohio State was bringing an extra body. And that's the other thing to remember too. Like if we're, you know, we spend weeks kind of arguing, like maybe Ohio State should think about like blitzing more and like bringing more guys. Like you can't always get it done with a four man front. Well, when you do, sometimes guys are going to, teams are going to complete passes that they wouldn't have completed if you had left that guy back in coverage. Like that's, that that's part of it too. So it, it's, it's, I, I, I've said all along, even through all those blowouts, I'm thinking, I'm still kind of saying like, this is still a defense that's growing towards something. This defense hasn't arrived yet. The, you know, I, I know that they were players are getting questions after the game. Like, do you think this is a championship defense? 
And of course, they're probably going to say yes. Uh, to me, it's it, that's a very like moving target in some ways because it's all relative to how good your offense is. We know how good Ohio State's offense is, so the defense doesn't have to be Georgia level to be a championship defense. However, I still think just in terms of you're saying that you think that this is JV Georgia. I think that is a from a defensive standpoint, and I think that that's a a good analogy. But I, I still came away from the rewatch thinking the same thing I did after the game, which was Ohio State's defense against a better offense is still going to result in fewer possessions and more pressure on this Ohio State offense when that moment comes. And I think the margin for error still is relatively narrow on that, that that still leaves them. And I don't know when that team's going to be. It might not be to the playoffs, but that that margin for error against a team that is more balanced is probably tighter than fans would like to admit right now. So Tyreek Smith, and again, rewatching that Tyreek's the, the fumble that was picked up scoop and score for cage was Tyreek Smith and both and Zach Harrison both got there. It's clearly Tyreek Smith who forced the fumble, but like Harrison was a half second behind that really was all Tyreek Smith. And then again, it's Tyreek Smith's pressure that forces the underthrow that leads to the Cam Brown interception, right? That was also Tyreek. Yep. So What was Ryan Day's quote about the defense? Because, again, I was, like, hanging out outside. I didn't go to the postgame. I was trying to get Tony Alford for a story. I I still will write for Tuesday. I talked to Tony Alford. It's interesting. What did he say? He said, I I think our offense did some good things, but our defense won this game. That's almost a – that's a really good paraphrase. So I think that is correct if you take out defense and you put in Tyreek Smith. And I'm not being – I think you might be right. Tyreek Smith forced two turnovers by himself – by getting to the quarterback and Tyreek Smith had been out for a little bit and had not been himself. And he got the magic pixie dust of the Nathan Baird feature this week. And he was back and Tyreek Smith changed this game. And so turnovers are gigantic. And again, I'm just, I, I double dipped. I was thinking about it there again. I, I like to look for similarities and things and comparisons, the Browns played, it's a very similar kind of thing. Penn State and, and the Steelers, both defense first, right? Both sort of questionable offenses, but tough physical, a rivalry, right? You don't like those guys. And what the Browns did not do is force any turnovers. They didn't force any turnovers, right? That, and if Miles Garrett had a strip sack that was picked up and returned for a touchdown for the Browns and had another play where he hit the quarterback and forced a pick, the Browns would have won. And I think if Tyreek Smith had not done that, Ohio State might have lost. And that's not the defense. That's Tyreek Smith individually with exceptional individual effort on multiple plays. But I didn't think, listen, and they didn't target Jahan Dotson in the first half and they really force fed him in the second half. And that, Help their help the Penn State offense a little bit. I don't know if they if Ohio State was doing a great job taking Dotson away early. Maybe they were, but Parker Washington was getting free. I think a lot other than the Tyreek Smith individual efforts that forced the turnovers. I think there's a lot of questions with what the, what the Ohio State defense did. You look again. It's it's a reference point. It's not the end all be all. The PFF grades for Taraji Mitchell and Cody Simon are awful. I'm not saying they played awful. I'm saying their PFF grades are awful. Now, and we're talking about it in a game where the Penn State linebackers were awesome. 
And sometimes I watch these other teams play and I think, man, it sure would help Ohio state if they had more linebackers playing like that. Now, as we've said many times, the, the pro football focus grades can be a little bit wonky. And Tyreek Smith, if you take out the guys who didn't play very many snaps, take out Neotote, take out Tyreek Williams, they only played 15 combined snaps. Tyreek Smith had the 10th highest grade for any Ohio State player in this game. Right. And it's brought down by his, I'm using air quotes here, his coverage grade, which I really don't even know what the heck that means in the context of this game for defensive end. It's not like they were just running, you know, <clears throat> 40 screen passes or whatever that he would have had to have been more involved in. I, I don't even know. Like, I, I so again, grain of salt with some of the pro football focus grades, but he was clearly great. Um, I just, I'm, 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 I'm really intrigued by what they're going to do when they have to play a team that can really run the ball again. And that's uh, probably not this week. And, but, but, but maybe that Michigan state game is, is going to be a big test for this team. I also wanted to say, I just want to say this real quick again about the linebackers while we're on it really quick. A um, hundred and thirty nine combined snaps for Taraji Mitchell, Cody Simon and Tommy Eichenberg. That's eight. They played 84 defensive snaps. So 139 snaps from them. That's like, so they took up, you know, one and a half of the two linebacker spots. They're the three lowest graded guys on the entire defense. The three linebackers. Yeah, it is bad. And uh, the, the other point I was going to make was we talked about, by the way, Steel Chambers grade fifth best overall, fourth best if you take out again, talking about yeah. just people who played the majority of snaps. And I, we were talking after the game about, you know, both things can be true. And I'm just going to say it again because I, I, I think I've said it before on the podcast. Like it can both be true that Steel Chambers is a great story and he's helping Ohio State win games. And that is a positive thing for the team. And it's a bad thing if Steel Chambers is supposed to be one of this team's best linebackers. And you're relying on him to make the difference in the most important games. I think the three best linebackers in the game on Saturday night were Penn State's three linebackers. I think that's a fair assessment. We'll be back after the break for the categories this week on Monday Madness. You're listening to Buckeye Talk. Story of the week, Ohio State is at Nebraska on Saturday. It is a noon kickoff. Thank goodness. Nice to have one of those again. The I know the evening kickoffs are fun for fans. They are not fun for me. I like sleeping and having time to do work for uh, that all you people can consume uh, in, a, in a good way. Story of the week this week to me is just sort of, you know, Ohio State got smacked in the mouth a little bit. And came out of it ahead. It's just about how, how how I think they respond to this because last week we talked about like how tough the stretch closing stretch of the season was going to be, and it was all talk until Penn State showed up. And then this was that was kind of the start of it. Like they they are now kind of they've entered the gauntlet that they now have to finish walking through these last few weeks. Nebraska blows. I don't know. There's no story here. I mean, there, there, nothing that Nebraska does is going to match close to anything that Penn State did. So we're heading back to Rutgers, Maryland, Indiana territory. And I think the most interesting thing is, does Ohio State end Scott Frost? Like, I think it's so Gary Patterson just left TCU. I guess what, I don't know if they were going to part ways. And he was just like, fine, if you don't want me, I'm out right now. I think Scott Frost is out anyway. I think if Ohio State like deep pants is Nebraska in their house, 
I don't think it's impossible for it to end for Scott Frost on Monday. Like we, this is just, it's obviously over and that was embarrassing. And there's no point in continuing this charade. You're done interim coach the rest of the year. I think that's on the table. And, but I do the the thing I, I am fascinated by the line. And I thought you had a really good, little piece sometimes the best pieces that that we can do at cleveland.com are just an interesting little little thing where you explain a weird thing and it was like the line for this game is weird to me and then you explained it i was like that's a really interesting explanation so that boggles my mind a little bit but this feels like a depancing coming and i mean they're gonna or or deserting the black shirts they're gonna deshirt the black shirts so um they're gonna run all over them i just I know Nebraska's played some teams tight, but they haven't gotten over the top against anybody that matters. And I think they might be out of gas and they might be ready to roll over if Ohio State, you know, hits a play action pass over the top and Jackson Smith and Jigba breaks a tackle and runs 60 yards and Nebraska might be like, we're done. And that'll be the last thing that Scott Frost ever does as a coach. So I woke up this morning very conflicted in how I think about Nebraska and about Scott Frost. Because, as you said, I, I, I texted that out to our subscribers, 614-350-3315. Basically the same explanation that I wrote about, I sent it out to them first, which is a thing we like to do. And said that if you go by the, the analytics, the computer stuff, the robots, they'll tell you, and, and Bill Connolly, who d- does the ESPN's SP+, Plus, is like one of the leading guys on this at least from a national like known level says on paper, Nebraska would be six and three right now. So I, and we've talked before about how, when you watch football and you're analyzing football, analyzing sports in general, it's really important to be able to talk about effort and production separated from result. Like I, I'm not, I'm not describing that well, but I think you know what I mean. Like it's, it's why, it's why they're, you know, why the advanced numbers have become popular in in people looking at at sports it's and it explains why betting lines get set and things like that that sometimes i I mean i i think to myself like ohio state's ohio state right what if ohio state their schedule this year was play the dallas cowboys 12 times and ohio state was oh and 12 and you'd be like well they suck and it would be like well no they don't actually suck they are who they are but this is what happened in the games they played their schedule was play the dallas cowboys 12 times so that's an extreme example but that's kind of what you're getting at. It doesn't, it it just, your record doesn't always mean you're a bad team. And there is such a thing as bad luck. Now I'm not going to take that too far. You create your own luck, all of that stuff, but that it, I'm talking about kind of trying to remove luck out of, out of the equation. So I understand what he's saying when he says Nebraska should be six and three on paper. However, Nebraska has not played the Dallas Cowboys 12 times. They have played a very, normal big 10 west schedule to this point and they also can't beat illinois they couldn't beat purdue this past weekend they couldn't beat minnesota so it's it's not just that they they don't even have indiana's excuse indiana had played like a loaded schedule so that's kind of the argument that we were making going to that indiana game was that hey take the end result out of some of these games they're probably better than what you think they are because their record says two and four i think it's probably both true that nebraska is better than three and six but it tells me something about the state of this program 
that they're getting close and can't close against the level of teams that they can't close against. And one of those one touchdown losses was to Oklahoma. I mean, they've gone one in five in their last six games, and the five losses are by 25 total points. So that would, I think, if you were an Ohio State fan and something similar, well, that's an extreme example. Ohio State fans would be just obviously self uh, immolation if it was if they had come one in five over six game stretch but like you you would bring up the point like hey we were playing good teams and you're losing close that says something about our team but the frustration of not getting over the top would still be there and so with Scott Frost it's like I I actually there was a point this weekend where I was thinking like like Nebraska needs to make a bold move and maybe the bold move is to say you know what we're right there nope and who are you going to get that's clearly better than him? Ride with it Anyone? for another year. No, but I no. think that, but the problem is it's not happening in year two. It's happening in year four. And the, the progress just isn't there. I think you're right. I don't know if they would like, I don't know if he'd clean out his office Monday morning, but if Ohio State went in and took it to them, then that might, that you might be right. Like they might announce like, Hey, mutual agreement into this season. We're moving on. Where, Where's, where can, can we get Tom Osborne on the phone? The, the hard, the difficult thing is like the, the, the reference point of all of this is, Hey, they played Oklahoma, Michigan state and Michigan really tight, right? That they were in all those Correct. games. Yes. Yes. So, but you barely lost. Those are like three good losses. Those good losses show that you should beat mediocre teams like Illinois, Minnesota, and Purdue. And you don't, but you did. So to be like, well, we should have beaten those teams. We should be six and three, but we're three and six. Uh, that's like a, the algorithm is not helping you there. For Bill Connolly, if Bill Connolly called up a Nebraska radio show, was like, you know what? The numbers show they should be six and three. It'd be like, it's not reassuring to Nebraska fans. Oh, oh, the numbers say we should have beaten Minnesota. We just didn't. Oh, well, then we're fine. So I do think that's true. It's not an atrocious talent level, but they have no idea how to win at this point, which is something, right? It's not everything. I think I think there are times we can overdo that, but I also think there are times where we can underdo that. Yeah. Buckeye yeah. talk. That that it's not just bad luck that you lose to Illinois 30-22, Minnesota 30-23, and Purdue 28-23. It's not, it's not only luck. There is something to making winning plays. And I also do think they have a oddly talented quarterback who I don't think is a winning quarterback. And Adrian Martinez is just good enough to keep you win a game, but not win it. But he's your quarterback, Scott Frost. And, and coaches go down with quarterbacks all the time. And he has, and, and I, I said this with Juice Williams at Illinois, Many moons ago, when Juice Williams beats Ohio State in Ohio Stadium in the 2007 season as a young quarterback, and it's like, wow, that is just enough of a tease that like you're never going to bench him. You're never going to go all the way away from him. And then it turns out, oh, no, he's not that good. And you kind of go down with the ship. Ron Zook kind of went down with the ship with Juice Williams. Scott Frost, frankly, did try to bench Adrian Martinez. He played that McCaffrey guy, yeah. and then the McCaffrey guy eventually left. And it was like... But And you're left with Adrian Martinez, but you also were never at the point of like, nope, it's not you. It's not you. Go transfer. You kind of stuck it out with him because he was tantalizing. And it turns out he was never good enough to get you over the top. And the result is a six and three team on paper that's actually three and six, 
but also having done this for 17 years, the type of team that hangs around with Michigan State and Michigan and a dysfunctional, at that point, dysfunctional Oklahoma team, that's pre-Caleb Williams. That's the height of the Spencer Rattler dysfunction. The type of team that hangs around with them and then is like, oh, I don't know. They might be better than their record. What is exactly the kind of team that Ohio State beats 60 to three? That is exactly the kind of thing where it's like, oh, yeah, congratulations. Hey, it's Chris Olave's here. Have you met Trevor Henderson? I know you hung around with those guys. That's not what this is, which is well, why the line baffles me. Well, but I think it's on Ohio State to prove that. I mean, this is, you know, this is but, a but, chance. But to they've set. proven that every week when they but, weren't playing one of the best five defenses in the country, which Nebraska does not have. I don't know. True. There's okay. no proof to me that this won't go like the Maryland game. They're not Penn State. Penn State is no. quite good. So I think, I think they're not Penn State, but I think they're not Maryland Rutgers and Indiana with a fourth string walk on in a monsoon either. I think they're better than that. So I, I don't I think you're I think the line is lower than what I, I I mean, I think I would take Ohio State giving the points here too. I just think it's the way the way I see it, here's here's maybe the way, the best way to summarize it. I don't think Ohio State should be worried about Nebraska that much. They Ohio State fans should be worried no. about Nebraska that much. No. But I think Wisconsin and Iowa fans should. That's who they play the, the two weeks after that. The oh, final Iowa two games stinks. of the season. Iowa so, I mean, I, all I'm know. saying is like, they, like Nebraska is still like that. That's what's really interesting to me about the Scott Frost thing is that like they could fire him Monday morning and then he could finish off his Nebraska career by beating Wisconsin on the road and Iowa at home on that Friday night showcase Thanksgiving weekend game. And like that wouldn't shock me in, in the least. Yeah, no, maybe. Yeah, maybe we can have Scott Frost and Kirk Ferentz face off in that last game on the Friday of Thanksgiving and they can it can be both of their last games I don't know I'm looking at I am staring straight I mean Iowa doesn't play anybody because the West is mediocre Iowa has now lost two in a row and finishes at Northwestern Minnesota versus Illinois at Nebraska at this point I wouldn't be shocked if Iowa goes one and three in those four games though could I, I still picked Iowa stupidly last because like ah Iowa sucks I don't know I'll take them to beat Wisconsin they're dead they are dead. They are as fraudy fraud as a fraud as you're ever going to fraud. They frauded it up. I'm fraudy Smurf. Hey, fraudy Smurf, what you doing over here? Watching Iowa. Hey, they were number two in the country. Yeah, they were the fraudiest frauds that ever frauded. They were 6-0. and oh. Wasn't there a team one year that started 6-0 and oh and finished 0-6 oh and, and went 6-6 six and six after a 6-0 and oh start? I think there might have been. If not, Iowa could be the first. I don't, I don't know if I think that they like the bad teams in the West will all rise up that week that they need to, to beat Iowa, the ones that are left. But I, I agree. You asked me a couple of weeks ago, what's more likely. Well, I don't remember how you phrased it. It was like, what's more likely 10 and two or six and six or something like that. And I said, well, okay, it's gotta be 10 and two though. Right. And now I'm like, eh. yeah, they'll beat Northwestern. Northwestern's awful, but the other three games, Minnesota, Illinois and Nebraska. You think Bielema had something for James Franklin? Wait till you see what he has for Kirk Ferentz. They played nine offensive linemen against Penn State, 10 offensive linemen against Iowa. (laughs) Wildcat snap to the running back, 10 offensive linemen. It's the Wildcat on steroids. Uh, Walk the line, we already said. uh, Ohio State opened minus 15. It bounced around a little bit. It was like 15 and a half, then it was 14 and a half. But I just looked, and the consensus has it still back at minus 15. Again, 
find my piece on the site if you didn't get the text and I explained why that if you you know go back to the the win expectancy from these other games and things like that because I, I was talking to Tyler Shoemaker before that on Sunday morning I because I went and looked at some numbers and I was like hey like this is saying like 10 or 12 points maybe is what the line should be on this game considering it's in Lincoln and I think he said his look ahead line was like eight I hope I'm not giving away any kind of proprietary I think he ticked I think he tweeted all this out and so his his look ahead line for this game was like eight points, eight or ten points. So he's like, well, it's clearly not going to be that low, but it's going to be low. Like we, I, that's why I let people know. Like I sent that text. I'm like, just just you're not shocked. This line's going to be lower than you think, especially considering there was 19 and a half for the Penn State game a week earlier, just over the weekend. So here, but the other thing, by the way, is again, I I hope people understand this by now. Home field advantage does not matter at all in Ohio State. If any part. The idea that the, the Ohio State game against Penn State was home and the Rutgers games and Nebraska games were on the road, I think Ohio State's better on the road. They like it more. I'm, this is not a shot at the fans. They like being creating a fake underdog myth, and we're going to go in here and everybody's going to be against us. At home, everybody loves them, but it doesn't really distract the other team. It doesn't. Ohio Stadium is not a difficult place for another team to play. And, and the juice that they get from the home team, like that, they live in the juice. They're submerged in the juice. They're almost pruny from the juice. They're better off sometimes getting plucked out of the juice and drying out a little bit and then going on the road and being like, hey, there's no juice here. You got to make your own juice. Everybody here hates you. They're like, yes, they hate us. And then they go play better. So please never, like it was not, an advantage. Uh, the only thing that's an advantage to Ohio State of being home is that you're not on the road. And it only matters if the road environment's really tough. So if you're Ohio State, you would rather play Penn State in Ohio Stadium because that means you're not in Beaver Stadium. Because whiteouts at Beaver Stadium are bazonkers. That is not what that Scarlet Out was. I, I don't think anyone's fooled no. by that. That's no. not a shot. It's just the real deal. So, and you, because nobody, no opponent, for Ohio State fans inspires the hatred and outrage that Ohio State as an opponent inspires on the road. Ohio State fans can't get up for Penn State the way that Penn State fans get up for Ohio State. They can't because the Penn State fans think we have to help us win. And the Ohio State fans don't think that. I know Ryan Day said we need it, but like, no, it's like, well, what's going to help Ohio State beat Penn State? The crowd being loud? No. Garrett Wilson, right? That's what's going to help. So this is nothing like going on the road, add points to Ohio State going on the road. I am as confident, I'm terrible. I am as confident and as outraged about this Nebraska 15-point line as I was about the Rutgers 15-point line. This is insane. I know the robots say something. I know math. Listen, man, If I this is not it. Bet this. Bet this as Nebraska is about to go down. They're going to fire Scott Frost after this game. That's my new prediction. Outrageous predictions. That's going to be my outrageous prediction for Thursday. That this is Scott Frost's last game as the coach of Nebraska. And this that's not going to inspire the, them to fight for him. Everybody thinks it's like, well, it's not him. And they're going to, Ohio State's going to score early and suck the life out of that place. That is the worst thing. When you're at home, there is risk. 
Because if you're on the road, it's like, oh, well. But like at home, it's like, hey, our crowd's behind us. And then Ohio State's going to be up 14 nothing 10 minutes in. And everybody at Nebraska is going to be like, can we just fire this guy already? Can we fire him at halftime? And there's going to be no juice there. Bet this. Nebraska has no chance. So what are you thinking? Fear factor like 9, 9.5? <laughs> Only if they overrunza, If they poison the runzas. Like Michael Jordan oh, in the – Don't the, even the, speak the, that the, into – The poison pizza in Utah. It was a poison. Ooh, that'll be good for my football novel. It was a poison runza that did the Buckeyes in. Uh, I, I'm saying like three and a half. Kind of, the, it's the usual caveat. Like this isn't a game that Ohio State should fear losing. Is it a game that Nebraska does play them closer and leave some sort of lingering doubt as to whether there is that separation that uh, seemed to be there through those other blowouts? Uh, I, I'm leaving some some fear factor in for that, but um, uh, Ohio State's going to Mine is negative. Side. Mine has a minus sign in front of it, whatever it is. One more break. We're going to come back and wrap up Monday Madness here on Buckeye Talk. Ballot boxing. I was one of the people who moved Michigan State ahead of Ohio State on his AP ballot this week. Am I wrong, Doug? It doesn't matter. I honestly, I know people are yelling at you. It is not. There's enough things to fight about in voting and committee stuff. And by the way, the first committee rankings are Tuesday night. So Mm -hmm. that's what actually is going to matter. There's enough things to fight about among teams who are not going to play each other. It is not worth wasting breath about teams that are going to play each other in a couple of weeks. So it doesn't matter. Now, if we want to have like a player prediction game, predict who's higher in the playoff rankings on Tuesday night. That's fun. That's amusing. But if you're an Ohio state fan, who's like real goosed up about whether Michigan state's ahead or behind Ohio State, that's not the deal. Think about the Oregon thing, because they're not going to – I mean, they already did play Oregon, but they're not going to play again. Think about Ohio State-Cincinnati. Think about Ohio State versus Oklahoma. They're going to play Michigan State. They're going to figure it out. It doesn't matter. Yes, and that's what I was trying to tell people. I mean, it was even somebody on Twitter said to me, like, well, I can't wait for the committee rankings to come out, and we'll, this will finally decide it. And I'm like, I don't think those are going to tell you what you think they're going to tell you for this first week. I, I think there's – you know, I would expect Michigan State to be ahead of Ohio State. I would expect it also. I would expect it also. I do. Again, it's sort of what we talked about before. It's you sort of have to group them a certain way. And I think it's possible that Ohio State, you have Ohio State sixth. Yes. I think it's possible that Ohio State is behind both Michigan State and Oregon yet higher than sixth. In the, in the committee rankings. Because I could see the committee not having Cincinnati very high. You're going to talk about this a lot on your show. Yeah, so I don't, we don't want to go into that too far. Everybody should go listen to Doug's College Football Playoff show. When's the next episode? So we have the episode that's available only for Apple Podcast subscribers. It'll drop on Tuesday morning. Okay. But also on the playoff show, and this is just like in general, it's like we're recording this podcast Monday afternoon. We're going to record uh, that the, the first playoff show Monday night. And then starting now with the playoff show, we used to record on Tuesday mornings and then drop that second free show on Wednesday mornings. We're not going to record until after the rankings come out Tuesday night. So I don't want to spend like a whole lot of time on any show talking about what the rankings might be when if someone catches the podcast, then 36 hours after it came out. And it's like, well, it doesn't matter what they were, but we know what they are. So 
I am. Um, I think they could be ahead of Cincinnati. I think the committee could ding Oklahoma for looking like crap. I think Alabama could be lower than everybody thinks. Cause I'm not sure why Alabama and it's one loss. Why is Alabama automatically ahead of Ohio state? I have no idea, especially after this Penn state win, which if you look at Penn state the right way, I, like what's Alabama's best win. Uh, Ole Miss. Is the so, one that jumps I, to mind. And then they beat Florida, but Florida has fallen apart. Like yeah. Florida's a mess and they barely beat Florida. And Oregon's ranked higher than Texas A&M. Now, is Oregon better than Texas A&M? Well, I, I don't know. I think they're both pretty good. I also think people, for some reason, have started underrating Oregon. Yeah. But I don't know. What's a bit now? That was at Texas A&M. Ohio State's was a home loss without Kayvon Thibodeau. But the idea of like, well, Alabama has to be three, right? Why aren't we having a discussion about I think having Michigan state and Oregon ahead of Ohio state is very defensible. I'm not sure why Alabama is automatically ahead of Ohio state, especially after the Penn state game, especially after the Penn state game, because the thing that I also think is true is I think Ohio state has changed a lot since its loss. If you're trying to evaluate that part of it, Alabama, the team that Alabama is right now is the same team that lost to Texas A&M. They didn't change anything. They just weren't good enough on that night. It's not like Bryce Young needed to ease into stuff and, oh, whatever. He's just, it's not like they readjusted their defense and demoted a guy. That was just Alabama. And on that night, Texas A&M was better. Two lost Texas A&M. So why is Alabama ahead of Ohio State automatically? Because, I mean, are there any voters in the country that have Ohio State ahead of Alabama? The whole Ohio State discussion there are, is versus Oregon and Michigan State. And I don't know why Alabama floats above that. They would not float above it for me. And I'm not sure they will float above it for the committee. And then just because Oklahoma and Cincinnati are undefeated, I, again, I don't think it's an absolute automatic that they are ahead of the one loss group of Ohio state, Oregon, Alabama. There are some things, there are some things with Alabama's schedule that it really depends on how you look at certain teams. Um, Mississippi state is a team that, uh, by the way, voting, this was the first week where I really threw up my hands, like voting from like 16 through 25 was just a bloodbath this week. And I had Mississippi state probably higher than anybody else this week. They've got five wins against, I can't remember, I'm trying to think back on the Sagarin. It's like five wins, three wins against top 30 teams or three wins against top 50 teams, something like that. Like very few teams have that many wins. So Mississippi state has beaten other good teams this year and Alabama beat them on the road 49 to nine. Like there's little things in there that I think are the separation between what Ohio state has done just in terms of the teams it is, but Ohio state hasn't played enough of those teams. Like Ohio state, Ohio state doesn't have that many Mississippi state, even equivalent games like Penn state's really the first one other than the one they lost. Yeah. But like, Mississippi State's best win is beating a Texas A&M team that is like an absolutely unexcusable loss, inexcusable loss for Texas A&M to lose to Mississippi State. And if Texas A&M hadn't lost to Mississippi State, like Texas A&M would be third. So now all of a sudden Mississippi State's good. Mississippi State, I don't know. Mississippi State, I think, is like people thought Mississippi State was the worst team in that division. And now they're good because they beat Texas A&M when actually that's just an inexcusable loss for Texas A&M. Mississippi State has five wins. They might finish five and seven, right? I mean, like, why we now think Mississippi Maybe. State's good? Who is Miss? What are who are Mississippi State's wins? Now I'm they in just beat Kentucky. They just beat Kentucky. They beat NC State, which has been a a, a top twenty five caliber team this year. 
they beat um and then Vanderbilt. I mean, what 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 holds them back is they lost. They had a, a three point home loss to LSU, and they lost at Memphis, which is not a good win or not a good loss. And they barely beat Louisiana Tech to open year. Like they know they've been a very uneven team. Yeah, no, I I I don't think Mississippi State's good. So I I don't, I don't know. Like if that, I would not chalk that up. I don't know that is Mississippi State better than Maryland. I don't know. I mean, Maryland yes, has some wins I early so. on. I think so. Yeah. So like every team in the every team in the SEC West is better than like the bottom Maryland? four teams. Yeah. yeah. I mean, did, did you 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 came out of the Maryland game thinking like, boy, if you just put them in the SEC West, what would they be able to? Do? No, but which Maryland game? Mississippi State got their doors blown off by Alabama. Ohio State blew out Maryland's doors off. But now our discussion is that Mississippi yeah. State is right. good and Maryland stinks. Like, if what's the like what's the point? What's the point we're trying to make? We don't think Mar- I mean Maryland. Maryland was 4-0. Okay, great. Mississippi State beat NC State in week three. The whole ACC sucks. That's I just don't – But, just again, they just, beat, they just beat Kentucky by two touchdowns this past week. Again, I'm not arguing that Mississippi State is great. But why did we ever think Kentucky was good? Because Kentucky was 6-0 a bunch – because LSU has its head up its butt and is firing its coach. Well, so then Kentucky goes and gets, gets throttled by Georgia. They were like a fake 6-0. and And now all of a sudden Kentucky is a good win for Mississippi State. Why? I literally just said though, again, once you get past like No, but we're not but we're not we're all debating teams, this like, within it's... the context of Alabama and Ohio State. And the idea right. is like, why is Alabama ahead of Ohio State? It's like, well, because they beat Mississippi State. And I'm just like, what? But I'm saying that at least Mississippi State has gone on and beaten other teams. And now you, it's some like, do I think it means more that Mississippi State beat Kentucky than Maryland beat? I don't even know who Maryland has beaten this year. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like you have to judge it based on something. Um, I, I, we, we have entered like, like every... Maryland just barely beat Indiana over the weekend at home. Right. Maryland, Maryland beat West Virginia. Right. Maryland beat West Virginia and Maryland beating West Virginia is as good of a win as Mississippi state beating NC state. Is it as is good that... of a win as Mississippi state beating Texas A&M? No, but that's more of like a horrible loss for Texas A&M. So, but now we're trapped. So now it's, so Alabama, so we're going to pretend that Alabama losing to Texas A&M is a reasonable loss, but then we're going to, but then Mississippi State beats Texas A&M. And now we're, that adds to Mississippi State and makes Alabama's win over Mississippi State better, but it doesn't subtract from Alabama's loss to Texas A&M. So like, which way is it? Are we saying that like, wow, Alabama beat Mississippi State? But they're all, we're also saying, wow, they lost to Texas A&M. Texas A&M is actually pretty good. Like so I don't, you can't get credit both ways for Alabama. I understand. I, I understand what you're saying. Here's maybe a better. So you follow Seth Walder, right, from ESPN, the analytics guy. I think you've sourced him before. Maybe I don't know. Yes. You know yes, and I I've seen some of the things he's putting out today, and I think I vehemently disagree with the premise but it's an interesting premise go ahead yeah and i just wanted to introduce it because i think it just and i don't know that i agree with this either especially in in some of the a couple of these teams but here's what i think it gets to as to how the committee might look at this because it's about strength of record his point being that 
Well, I'll just say, I'll just read the tweet. We spend a lot of time arguing about who should get in the playoff, but in my opinion, it's a problem with an obvious solution. Strength of record. That's it. No committee. This is just the answer. I, I don't agree with that. I think there's more nuance to it than that. But he said, these are the teams that accomplished the most, given the schedule they faced. Georgia, number one, strength of record, with only a 13% chance of being 8-0 at this point, and they're 8-0. Michigan State is number two by that measure, only a 19% chance of being 8-0 at this point. But here's where it's flawed. It's because maybe they only have a 19% chance of being 8-0 because they are actually not, there's not that much separation between them and other mediocre teams they're playing. So that's where the argument falls apart a little bit for me. Oklahoma third, Alabama fourth, Wake Forest fifth, Cincinnati sixth, Notre Dame seventh, Oklahoma State eighth, Michigan ninth, Oregon tenth. That's by what percentage chance there is of them having the record they have now. Or sorry, actually, I should, I should, rephrase that it's a chant it's their chance of an average top 25 team achieving that one loss record they have sorry i said that wrong so it gets it gets a little wonky in analytics but you know who's not on that list is ohio state west virginia also beat iowa state and west virginia only lost to oklahoma by three and looked like they were going to beat oklahoma and maryland beat west virginia so west virginia is better than mississippi state no west virginia is better than nc state which means maryland is better than mississippi state which means ohio state is better than alabama i'm just saying i'm just saying I'm you've just, got but like if you're going to start people i know but the transitive thing has is going to always fall apart at some point no i i know but like you were transitiving like well alabama beat mississippi state and mississippi state's good because they beat north carolina state so i'm just doing the same thing for maryland who got blown out by Ohio state. Here's the thing about strength of record, which I think is because he made a comparison of like in the NFL with the chiefs and the Bengals and whatever strength of record falls short because the, the schedules are so different. Yeah. yeah. Right? That, that is it, you just, you, I think the bottom line is you need people interpreting data. And in the old poll era, it was just dumb people. And in the BCS era with the computers having kind of on their own power, it was just data. And so there was, in the BCS era, there were, there were humans and there were data, but they were separate. And so the humans who were dumb and just went by the ESPN highlights, I'm a voter, <laughs> said one thing. And then the computers who said, strength of record, Wake Forest looks good to me, is like, okay, great. Thank you, computer. You need people analyzing data. So the strength of records, should that be discussed in the committee room? Absolutely. Does it mean that Wake Forest should be ahead of Ohio State in the rankings on Tuesday night? No. no. It, it's, but it's the other thing is piece of data. It's a fact. It is. And it's a, it's a good piece of data. But then when the data people are like, I've got it, just this data. My favorite data is should be the determining factor yeah. is when people put data people in headlocks. Yeah. And the other thing is strength of record – the That's less, how you get a noogie, son. Yeah. The less of a schedule you have, the less effective strength of record is. Right. And so get back to us after Ohio State, Michigan State play, and then strength of record will have more validity. So the data is hard on a short sample when the schedules are so, so different. Yeah. Wake Forest is fifth on this list. Their, 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 their schedule is Old Dominion, Norfolk State, Florida State, Virginia, Louisville, Syracuse, Army, and Duke. There are, I'd say there are, there are at least 15 teams in the country that would be undefeated against that schedule and maybe more. Yes. There might be like Iowa would be undefeated against that schedule. 
Penn no State question. would be undefeated against that schedule. No question. Although, so it's well, like, I don't know. They, if, if you can lose to Illinois, you can lose to Louisville. I mean, but were, was Louisville going to dial up what Bielema did? Who knows? I mean, yeah, it's one of those right. things. We it's can't – they got – that was a coaching clinic by they a dude who has been around. Their players are not good. I get it. But but you got, yeah. I don't even know who the Louisville coach – Bobby Petrino Jr., is he going to dial it up on the back of his motorcycle and his neck brace? Dial up nine offensive linemen by Brett Bielema? That's no offense to whoever the actual Louisville coach is. I, just I, think, it's the, I think it's that Papa John's guy. <laughs> Papa John's again. Papa John's. A lot of conflict. I'm such a triangle pizza guy. Oh, there's you know, no that conflict. That's style. not good pizza. It's 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 the right style of pizza, right? It's like a spread offense. It's like you're doing the right thing, but you're not executing it right. So that's a spread offense. That Papa John's, I feel like, puts up maybe like 400 yards of offense, but they only score like 26 points and they have four turnovers. And it's like, is this really what you want to be doing here? You're, you're on the right scheme, but you you need a better play caller. You're not possibly arguing that you would rather have Papa John's because it's circular and triangle cut than a good square cut pizza, right? I mean, it's one of those things. It's it's that can't. That's I, not even six six one half dozen the other, right? No, no, no. It's a good comparison. It's like, would I rather? Would I rather run an ineffective spread offense or would I rather run Wisconsin's offense and win? It's mm. like, mm-hmm. I guess, I don't know. <laughs> I guess I'd rather win, but it's not going to be any fun. It, I might get a good bite of Papa John's pizza uh, accidentally, right? When I get up near the crust, I might get a decent bite. With the square cut pizza, I'm just running for 350 yards. Does anybody want to watch a square cut pizza for four quarters? It's like, oh, we beat square cut pizza, beat Iowa. Oh, cool. Did you have fun? Not really. It's like, oh, how was that uh, Papa John's game? Man, it was all over the place. It was. <laughs> they threw a 68-yard touchdown pass, but it called, got called back by a legal formation. And then they went for it on fourth down at their own 21 and got stopped. It was ridiculous. Was it good? No, it wasn't good, but it was ridiculous. I might choose ridiculous over boringly okay in that situation. I want to say one more thing as it relates to the ballot, because I think think people, one of the reasons why our listeners have been, some of them, have been frustrated is because I'll come on here and I'll talk about Ohio State being a playoff team and then I'll keep voting them. I moved them down in the poll this week, and they don't understand that. I just want to, again, reemphasize the idea of the, the resume and when that will, you know, the head-to-heads will decide themselves when they play Michigan State as opposed to trying to just guess how good I think a team is. And you, you can make arguments about Alabama and Oklahoma, and maybe they shouldn't be as high as I have them. I, I totally understand. You, you, you try to just go through the list and process teams and take your best shot. But the in other the thing, end, but... what you what you think versus what is right are different things. Yes. And we like to analyze what we think, what we think is going to happen, what we believe. But you got to go by what is. And if you go by what is when you vote, it's all works out every time it does. It all works out, but it causes people like a, to get angry in the moment. And if Ohio State beats Michigan State. People will be like, see, you should have had Ohio State ranked ahead of Michigan State before. And it's like, no, that's yeah. not yes. what that yes. means. Correct. Because that's not what had happened in the moment. 
but guess and that's what? not the way the committee is going to look at it on Tuesday either. They're going to, that's no. that people need to remember. Like when you see Ohio state below Michigan state, you shouldn't feel rage. You should think, Oh, so you mean when Ohio state beats Michigan state, like I think they're going to do in two weeks, then Ohio state will just be ahead of them and probably in the playoffs. Like right. it, it just, just simmer down. Uh, but the other thing I wanted to bring up was <laughs> it, again, so I moved Michigan State ahead of Ohio State. I now have Michigan State uh, fifth. We you know what's a really interesting thing to me on the lines this week. Michigan State is only a three-point favorite at Purdue. Like that, like I would not shock me at all if Purdue wins that game and just and Michigan State goes tumbling out of the top ten next week. No, that's possible. I mean, I think you know what any team like that when you get outside tier one. And the teams that just have elite talent across the board, you're just on a thinner edge, right? And it's like, oh, well, what happens if Purdue sort of bottles up Kenneth Walker the third? It's like, I don't know, they might win. Because where does Michigan like where's Michigan State go? It's like, right. oh, what happens if what might happen if uh Michigan State has a little trouble with David Bell? It's like, I don't know, Purdue's probably gonna win. Cause it's like, oh, well, they're at, you know, because they don't maybe necessarily not going to have Tyreek Smith force two turnovers on his own. Although Michigan State has good defensive players, right? I, so that's just, that's life in tier two. That's life anywhere outside of tier one that you win a great game one week and come back. Because, because again, Ohio State would have been capable of losing to Penn State to two loss on a two game losing streak, Penn State on Saturday night, except they just had so much elite talent that the elite talent eventually shook free. C.J. Stroud eventually made it happen. Chris Olave and Trayvon Henderson and Jackson Smith and Jigben Garrett-Wilson eventually made it happen, even though Penn State really did a good job shutting it down for a long time. And the other, most other teams just don't have that similar depth of elite talent. So if you shut down one thing, sometimes that means you lose. I think I am finished. Did you have anything else you wanted to add this week? I didn't really have a margin call rant that I wanted to go on and the who's number two thing, I guess we could debate whether or not it might secretly be Penn State, even though now they've lost three games in a row. I, I just, I, I mean, I, I'll i go down with that ship. I just think, I think Penn State's really good. I definitely think Penn State will beat at least one of Michigan State and Michigan, for, for sure. I would take Penn State to win at least one and maybe both of those games. And that's the other thing here, too, is that, you know, Penn State's out of any kind of playoff discussion now. But Michigan State, Michigan still have to play them, and they're good. So, and those teams uh, are playing for stuff too. I mean, uh, certainly I mean, in Michigan State, Michigan State will play them last game of the regular season after Michigan State plays Ohio State. But yeah, I mean, Michigan and Michigan's good too. But that's that's a good that's a good football team in a lot of ways, and I, and I can see how Michigan State and Michigan might have might have trouble with them. So. Um, no, I don't. So the, the number two discussion is like right now, I think Michigan State and Pence and Ohio State are like tied for first. Right. So like who's number two? It's like, I don't know. There's two number ones and then there's a number three. But I, I thought we did not talk a ton about the Michigan State Michigan game here, um, which I, you know, I, I just thought in the end, I do think Michigan State's better than Michigan. And I thought that proved itself. I thought. Michigan state caught some bad breaks early and then kept plugging along. And I was not surprised when Michigan state came back like that. I thought, you know, Michigan forced some, some bad plays from Michigan state, but also caught a couple breaks. But I just think across the board, Michigan again, has some, 
has I think has like a special guy at each level of its defense. And that's really important. Hutchinson's going to be a problem for everybody that plays Michigan. That is real. That is real. Especially when you saw what Ebikidi did for mm-hmm. Penn state against Ohio state. So nobody is sleeping on that. And John Ross, I think is a linebacker who's at a similar level to those Penn state linebackers. I don't think Michigan has three linebackers like Penn state does. And Daxton Hill, I think is a similar secondary guy to the best Penn state secondary guys, but there's not four of them for Michigan. Like there is for Penn state. And then their running backs aren't Kenneth Walker, the third Kenneth Walker, the third, the Michigan state running back who is clearly a Heisman candidate now, although he had not been great in the previous three games have been bottled up was the best player in that game, at least offensively for either side. And that's what the difference was. He made some stuff on his own where Blake Corum and Hassan Haskins are good backs, but they, they break tackles, but they're not going to that Kenneth Walker, the third play where he ran into the line, got stopped and then broke outside and ran for a touchdown. I don't think the Michigan backs do that. I don't think any other back in the big 10 does that outside of Trayvon Henderson. So that's real for Michigan state. And Mel Tucker is a hundred percent from top to bottom, real dude from head to toe. And he will have them ready for that game in Ohio stadium. And again, I think it is an edge for Michigan state that they are playing Ohio state in Columbus because that is exactly the kind of game that Michigan state has lost at home to Ohio state time after time, because you have expectations and hope and the middle, the first time that Ohio state's talent pricks the balloon and lets a little air out of it at home, the crowd goes, Oh, well, here we go again. And it takes down the home team. And it's, it's for a team like Michigan state, it is worse to disappoint your home crowd than it is to go on to come to Ohio stadium and have that crowd against you. It is worse to deflate your home crowd. Now, if you're in Beaver stadium or in Madison or in Iowa city, and it feels like the stadium's going to fall on your head, that's worse. That is not what happens at Ohio stadium. And it's mostly a function. I think of the design of the stadium than anything else. It is not an indictment of the crowd. But also the expectations are so high for Ohio State fans that it is they also you can you guys can get deflated sometimes if it doesn't go Ohio State's way right away. So Mel Tucker will absolutely have them ready. And I don't know if you guys would change your vote when we talked on the pregame pod. What is a tougher game for Ohio State? going to Michigan or home versus Michigan state. And the texters, I think were like 80, 20, it's the Michigan game. And I said, then, no, it's the Michigan state game, man. It is the Michigan state game. No doubt about it. That is the game that could trip up the Buckeyes. And I think what Kenneth Walker, the third and Mel Tucker and Peyton Thorne and that defense accomplished on Saturday is exactly the thing that Ohio state has to be on a little bit alert about the rest of this year. I think what I saw from Walker, especially on Saturday, crystallized a little bit to me the difference between is he a good Big Ten running back or is he something else? Is he like a little is he something special beyond that? And I'm not putting him in the um, Saquon Barkley, Trevion Henderson kind of category, but he is better than just a good Big Ten running back. He's not just a a guy who's going to be all Big Ten because they need to fill out the, the list. He's legit. So I think that is still one of the like lingering tests the like missing tests that Ohio State hasn't passed yet this year and this will be their chance to do it that's going to wrap up this week's Monday Madness for Doug Lee Reese I'm Nathan Baird that 
was Buckeye Talk.